and everyone said, Amen. All right, we're going to be in the book of 1 John, uh, chapter 5. We're going to be looking at two verses, 4 and 5. And actually, I'll tell you, just one of the ways that, that the Holy Spirit is just kind of working today is uh, AJ was singing a song, uh, No Longer a Slave to Fear. But how many of you know you can be a slave to lots of things, not just fear? You can be a slave to anger. You can be a slave to, oops, what happened? All right, there you go. Thank you very much. Uh, you can be a slave to discouragement. You can be a slave to depression. You can be a slave to sickness and disease. You can be a slave to drugs. You can be a slave to sexual perversion. You can be a slave to lots of things, right? But in Christ, you can be no longer a servant or no longer a slave, but you can find yourself a child of God, right? Now you say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm still struggling with these things. Well, I want you to know that's not, that's not God's will for your life. God's will for your life, not only that you be saved and have a place to go when you get to heaven, but God's will for your life is that you live a victorious life in this life. 1 John 5, 4 through 5, I titled this message, Victorious Living. For whatever is born of God, how many of y'all have been born of God? If you haven't raised your hand, then you'll have an opportunity at the end of the service to get born of God. But whoever is whatever or whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I, uh, this morning I had something else prepared. I thought, you know, I'm just going to enjoy my quiet time this morning, just enjoy my time with the Lord. Um, I drink coffee in the morning, so what happens when you drink coffee? You got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> On my way to the bathroom, I thought about my brother. Don't put two and two together. I don't know why you're thinking that way. Anyway, while I was going there, I just started praying for my brother. I was praying for him because, uh, you know, for those of you that know my brother, I love him dearly. I had to have had some opportunity with him just for the last uh, week or so and, and uh, got an opportunity to take him somewhere where he can get some uh, uh, help, help for his life. He's had his struggles. And my prayer as I was praying for him this morning centered around, as it always does, about I want my brother to finish out his life victoriously in Christ. I don't, I, he knows the Lord. The Lord spoke to me years ago. Your brother's going to go to heaven. Why would he do that? Because if you knew the things that my brother has been through, I needed that, right? But I've been praying, God, I don't just want my brother to sneak into heaven. I don't just want him to spend eternity with you. I want that, but I want him to live victoriously in this life. I want him to know how to live a victorious, overcoming Christian life. And so I was praying for him this morning, and, um, and as I was praying for him, I began to just find myself voicing certain things in my prayer. And I don't know if you know this, but I'm a preacher, and preachers like to alliterate things, so I like to start things with certain letters. And I was praying this way. I said, God, I pray that you would show my, tr my brother the truth that you would show him how much how valuable he is to you, that, that you would show him your vision for, of who he is to you and what you want for his life, and you would show him, my Father God, how to live victoriously in this life. And as I was doing that, I found a way to put all those together into, into a, a message that all started with the letter V. Those, those are going to present to you today, and basically there are five things that lead to victory. One is veritas. For those of y'all that were in the military, veritas means truth. Two is value. Three is vision. Vision. Four is vigilance. 
And if you apply these things in your life, they will all lead to victory. All of these in Christ. So we're going to touch on these this morning. The first thing we're going to look at is the word veritas. John 8, 31 through 32. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed on him. Now notice he didn't say this to unbelievers. He said this to the Jews who had already believed on him. So a lot of times what happens is we think that once we know Christ, once we're saved, we're good. No, once you get saved, the process begins. You give God your life, and then God starts working on your life the moment that he comes into your life. It doesn't just end when you get saved. It begins when you get saved. He said to the Jews who had already believed on him, If you abide in my word, and, and uh, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So, since the, all these things that we're going to look at today begin with the letter B, I began this heading with a word that means truth. Veritas is Latin for truth. In order to experience freedom, one must be acquainted and come to know real truth. And I want you to know that truth is a person. Truth is a person. John 14 and 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said to his disciples, If you abide in my words, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. So we see that truth is found not just in the knowledge of Christ, not just in the knowledge of his word. Those are part of it, but it begins with a relationship with Christ. Knowing Christ is not just knowing about Christ. It's not just having been to church. It's not just having been to children's church. It's not just having been to Sunday school. It is about having a healthy, growing relationship with Christ. You must be born again. You are not a Christian because you come to church. You are not a Christian because you were born into a Christian family. You become a Christian the moment that you recognize that you're separated from God. Jesus made a way for you to come into right relationship. He is the Savior of the world. When you call upon God, when you call upon Jesus Christ, ask Him for forgiveness of your sins and invite God into your life or actually give your life to Him. The Bible says that you have an experience with God where you are born again. You do not have to come to this church to be born again, but hopefully if you come to this church, you will know that you must be born again. You can be a Catholic and be born again. You can be a Baptist and be born again. You can be Assemblies of God and be born again. You can be a, a, a non-denominational attender and be born again. You cannot go to church and be born again. You can be all of those. He said, but I'm Baptist. I doesn't be, you can be Baptist and not be born again. You can be Catholic and not be born again. You can be non-denominational and not be born again. You can be, not go to church and not be born again. You can be Assemblies of God and not be born again. What we desire and what is important is that you be born again. You must have a relationship with God. Not only must you have a, pro a relationship with God, you need to have a proper relationship with God. Remember, this is all under truth. Jesus is not just your Savior, Jesus is Lord. What does it mean that He is Lord? It means that He is the boss, He is King of kings, He is Lord of lords, He is the one that's in charge, not us. 
We are not the ones in charge. You may think you're in charge, but you're not. If, when you come to a recognition that uh, the reason that your life is in the mess that, it, that it's in is because you've been in charge, then you begin to recognize, well, I need to know the truth. The truth is that I do a horrible job running my life. I need somebody else that can come in and take that place for me, someone that actually designed me to be in relationship with Him. And when I come into a proper relationship with Him, not just getting saved, but understand that he is God and I'm not then I'm positioned to be able to experience what I need to be able to become to, to experience freedom in my life actually if you get saved it's not just about inviting God into your heart the scripture actually says if you're going to get saved this is what you do for with a heart uh, uh, that if you confess with your mouth not the Savior Jesus but you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. A lot of people, they, they confess the Savior Jesus, but they don't, want anything, uh, they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus being Lord of their life. What does it mean that Jesus is Lord of your life? That means what He says goes. And if what I say is contradictory to what He says, then I need to come under submission to what He says and not keep doing what I think I should do. You hear people say all the time, well, that's, that's a good truth, but it's not my truth. If that's the way you approach Christianity and that's the way you approach the Bible and that's the way you approach God, He is not Lord of your life, you're Lord of your life. In other words, what does it mean when He is Lord? What He says goes. What He says in His Word is truth. Whether I like it or not is not the, really what, the, what we're talking about. Is what does God's Word say because He is the way and the truth and the life. He's not supposed to accommodate to me. I'm supposed to accommodate to Him. So it's not just being in a relationship with Him, it's being in a healthy, proper, growing relationship with Him. And if you recognize that He is Lord, you also have to recognize that His Word goes. Truth speaks to us, God speaks through His Word, but it's not enough to know that He is Lord and not enough to hear and know His Word. If you don't obey His Word, it doesn't work. It says in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, you got to know what he says, and you got to do them. A lot of people say, why doesn't Christianity work for me? I'll tell you why here in a minute, but let's read this first. It says, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house, and it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. How did it get founded on the rock? You hear what Jesus said, not just what you want, but you hear what he said, and then you do them. Now, why is it not working for me? Because you're probably in the second category of people here, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, now I'm sorry, I'm not calling you a foolish person. The Bible is calling you a foolish person. I will liken him to a foolish person who built his house on the sand. Do you know what sand really is in its purest form? It's little pieces of rock. I apply a little truth here and a little truth there and a little truth here, but it's not the rock. Right? So, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I do some things that he wants for me. I do this. And we tend to look at the things that we do do, not the things that we don't do. Correct? And we grade ourselves, but if we do that, guess what happens? We are now the Lord of our lives, not Jesus. And it says, I will liken to that man, to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And how many of you know he's not just talking about men? He's talking about women, children. It doesn't matter. He's talking about humanity. 
And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Jesus actually said this, whoever would come after me and be my disciple must deny his self. That word self, somebody translated this way, deny his right to self-rule, take up his cross, and follow after me. So what's important is that we need to know the truth and truth is a person, and that's Jesus Christ. Second thing I was praying for with my brother that I want you to know today is we have to know value. What are you talking about value? We have to see him for who he is, but we also have to recognize who we are in his eyes. Many of us, we believe the truth that other people have said about us. We believe the truth that the world has said about us. We believe uh, the truth that others, and when I say truth, I'm not talking about God's truth. I'm talking about lies that the enemy has spoken to us through what other people said. This is the truth about who you are. You're, re you're rejected. You're abandoned. You're all these kind of things, but that's not the way that God say sees you, and that's not the truth over your life. God actually loves us and values us us because we were created in the image and the likeness of God. It says in Genesis 1, 26-27, God said at the very beginning, and I'm talking about humanity as a whole, let us make man in our image, let us make humanity in our image according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his image, in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. By the way, with all this mess that's going on in this world and all this uh, basically uh, stuff that's going on, I want you to know what God says. There's not 89 different ways of viewing gender identity. There's only two. The Bible says male and female, he created them. Sometimes we get so smart, we're stupid. I like to go back to the Word of God because the Word is true. So Psalms 139, 16 through 17, this is what God envisioned whenever you were created. The Bible says, your eyes, God, saw my substance, being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. I told you I tried to make this a Mother's Day sermon. I'm sure that that every mother, when she found that she was pregnant, she began to dream about what her kids were going to be, what they were going to become like, what their purpose is in life. They, they might become a doctor, they might become a lawyer, they might become an artist, they might, but everything that they dreamed about you was good. When you were fashioned in God's mind, everything he thought about you, all that he had planned for your life was good. God loves us. God values us. That doesn't mean that life went as planned. Many of y'all have kids that got lost in rebellion. They got lost in drugs, alcohol, all these kind of things, but you never saw them anything different than that child that you gave birth to, and you pray for them, you intercede for them until they one day come to a recognition of who God is and who they really are in Christ. You intercede, you pray, because you know that what they're at, where they're at right now is not a reflection of who they are. Not in your eyes. And I want you to know that no matter what you're going through, who you are, what you've been through in life, that your life and the way you've lived it, if it's not been great, is not a reflection of what God thinks about you. God loves you. 
He created you for good. He loved you. You are his crowning creation. You were made and fashioned in the image and the likeness of God. Unfortunately, for many of us, we believed a lie. Sin, rebellion against God, marred us. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The sinful lives that we live, and for many of us, have scarred us. Many of us carry the scars of those life on our skin in the things that we do, but not only that, sin scars us emotionally. Sin scars us mentally. It scars us in all these different ways. But I want you to know that God loved you so much, He didn't want to leave you that way. John 3:16. For God so loved the world, for God so loved me, for God so loved you, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but that they should have everlasting life. Romans 10 and 10, I mean, uh, John 10 and 10, I didn't put it in there, says this. The thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy, but God had come that you may have life. Great, I want to have life, but he didn't leave it there. He wants you to have abundant life, an overcoming life, a victorious life. Romans 5 and 8 says, For God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8, 15 through 17. And uh, this is what God did whenever we embrace God, whenever we embrace His salvation, whenever we get born again. This is what God does. We don't just become, hey, uh, you know, creatures that have a ticket to heaven. More than that takes place. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of, of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children then heirs heirs of God joint heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together with him so what I want you to know is when you get saved you don't come in as a servant you come in as a son a daughter a, a child of God he adopts you into his family. And you may not understand what adoption is, but in our society, you know, adoption is somebody takes you into their family. And we, uh, for some people, adoption has a, uh, a negative connotation. But I want you to know I was adopted, and it doesn't have a negative connotation to me because my dad could have said, no, I don't want him, but my dad chose me. I want him as my son. And I want you to know in this culture at this particular time, people that were adopted were actually looked at even more favorably than those that were born into the family because you didn't just come into the family by a natural birth. You actually had a mother and a dad went out and chose you. In Christ, we were chosen, and we became part of the family. My brothers and my, my sisters, sometimes every once in a while, you know, I, I just, you know, uh, people will say, well, they're your half-brother and half-sister. And I don't, I don't really do this but my, because I was the one that was kind of adopted in. And, and they say, we never think of Rick that way. He's my brother. He's my, he's my brother. And I want you to know, I just mean something to me. They don't recognize it, but I'm a part of the family. I am a full member of the family. And I happen to be the oldest in the family. And as the oldest in the family, they don't, none of them ever say, hey, you know, you don't have the right to talk to me because you're, no, they all look to me and they say, hey, can you share with us wisdom from God? Can you share us what God is speaking to you? They all look to me as if, because in their mind, I am a part of the family. And that's what God does for us. Amen? So value, you, you need to see how God values 
you. You are valued and loved by God. But not only that, the third thing I was praying for my brother for that we need to understand is I was praying that my brother would have vision. He would see others through his eyes. Not only that you would see God, but that he would see others through your eyes. And I, I, I subtitled this Love Reciprocated. They, that's the last point I should have said. I titled it Love Received. This one is Love Reciprocated or Vision. As you allow God's love to penetrate your heart, God's love cannot be contained. When I first got saved, I didn't understand salvation, but I understood something changed in my life. I, didn't, I wasn't born into a Christian family. I wasn't born a Christian. I didn't go to church. I didn't get saved till I was 21 years old. And I started going to church when I was 21. <laughs> so I had three months of going to church, and they would tell me about what the Christian life was and all that kind of stuff. And some of them, I didn't understand all of it. All I knew is that in my heart, I knew something they were saying was true. And I was in my room one day, three months of hearing the message. I was in my room and I said, God, are you real? I didn't even say the right prayer. I just said, God, are you real? But my heart was hungry for God and my heart said, God, I sure hope so because I need you in life. And whenever God came into my life, I, I said, God, are you real? He said, yes. I felt like a weight was taken. I can only describe. I didn't have language at the time. So I'm describing what happened to me on the day. I felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. I didn't know I had. I felt like as light as a feather. I felt like Scrooge on Christmas morning. And I began crying out to everybody, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. What did that mean? I have no idea, but I'm saved. <laughs> I just had to tell everybody. I, and, and you can go back and you can talk to my brothers and my sisters, but that love of God so changed my life that I just began to tell everybody about God. And, and, and our family was one of the instigators. I, I wasn't, but I was part of the family. Right? It's kind of like uh, my family was uh, in the mafia. I wasn't the mafia, but you're still part of the family. Right? My, fa <laughs> my family was an instigator for bad in the neighborhood. But when I got saved, then my, my brothers got saved. My father got saved. My mother got saved. Their friends got saved. The neighborhood got And I'm not, I'm not overstating things. They'll tell you what happened. What happened? God's love began to pour out. Are you hearing what I'm saying? As you allow God's love to penetrate your heart, God's love must be poured out. Why? Because true love is not self-centered. True love is others-centered. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, Love suffers long and is kind, does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not... Here's the key. This is really the, one of the best definitions for love, what godly love is. Love does not seek its own. It's not looking out for number one. That's what the world wants you to do. It wants you to look out for number one, me, myself, and I. But God is not that way. If God was looking out for number one, he never would have come and given his life that we might be saved. It, it is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Most people that are struggling in life are inward focused. We're focused on ourselves. It's about me, myself, and I. That's what life, that's what the world, that's what drugs, that's what perversion will seek to do in your life. If you've ever around, been around people that have uh, some kind of addiction problem, they will steal from you to further their addiction. 
They will find ways to, to take what you have as if what you have now belongs to them so that they can, uh, they can do things in their life. It's about me, myself, and I, and that's what sin is. Sin is basically that I, it's me-centered, it's me. I will, I want, I desire. It's all about me. And the Bible says, for all have sin. That means every one of us, we may have different degrees of it, but if we were honest, without God in our life, we're all in some sense self-centered until we get confronted with a God who is not. He is other-centered. He loves us. And when we become acquainted with Him, as you, as you get to know Him and His love is poured out in your life, then the Bible says that we become like Him. We become more like Him, and as we become more like Him, we must, we can't contain it if we're experiencing the love of God. God's love and His vision moves us beyond ourselves to other people. And you might say to yourself, well, why is Christianity not working? Because the love of God has probably not been able to come out of you. You're, keeping, you're continuing to live a self-centered, introspected life. For Christianity to work, it must be other-centered. I can't tell you how many people in this area, and, 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 and not just this area, I think it's this culture, it basically says, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I can be a Christian and drink. I can be a Christian and do this. I can be a Christian and do all these kind of things. And you know what? You're free to do whatever you want. I'm not your judge. But what I will tell you is the attitude is not about what's good for God and what's good for others. The attitude is about what's good for me. And I want to tell you something, that attitude is not God's love. That attitude is the same attitude you had before you became a Christian. I'm not talking to anybody here. Turn to somebody and say, he's not talking to anybody here. He's talking to people out there that are listening online. Does that make you feel better? <laughs> As you become more like God, you can't help but begin to do God-like things and that's to demonstrate God's love by being willing to be self-sacrificial. Sacrificing yourself for the benefit of others because that's what true love is. Listen, I don't know that I knew what love is when I got married. I love my wife, but I don't know what true love really was until, and Anna will tell you, she said the Lord spoke to her, your husband will begin to know what love is when your children are born. And when my children are born, I, I began to realize even more what love is. I'm still growing in this journey called love. But I began to realize, you know, when that child was born and my wife did the same thing, my children did the same thing, I knew right then that whatever they needed, it was theirs. It wasn't about me anymore. It was about them. You know, you can be married and be self-centered. Turn to your spouse and don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> and then say, not you, he's not talking about you. He's talking about people up there on the camp. <laughs> but as you grow in life, as you begin to, to allow the beauty of life come into your life through having children, then what begins to happen, it begins to change you. You know, there's a lot of people that say, I don't want to have kids. Uh, and that's fine, you don't want to have kids. You know, you can live life that way, but you'll never really know what true love is until you learn how to love someone that can't pay you back, that can't do anything for you. And there's something about giving. There's something about pouring into something. And, I, and for those of y'all that have teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. Not only do you, 
You pour into something that can't pay you back, but you pour into something that doesn't want to pay you back anything but harm. Verbally. Anyway, what I'm talking about is that you'll never learn truly what it is to love. Okay, because there's something about, uh, uh, when, in my particular life, and for mothers out there, that when you had a child, then what began to happen is something awoke in you, and you realize whatever this child needs, whatever sacrifice I need to do, I don't care what it means going without food, going without sleep, going without material things, um, my child is not going to suffer. I will do whatever I can to take care of this child. Whether you gave birth to your child or you adopted a child, it doesn't matter. You understand love. And that's God's love. And God wants us to understand that kind of love. It reminds me of a passage in 1 Kings 3, 25-27. And this is the worst of the worst. These are two prostitutes that had children. They were born, uh, just babies, infants, just barely born. And what happened was is they, they slept together and it's in the same room and one of them turned over and smothered their child in the middle of the night. And, and, and so in the middle of the night she took her child that was smothered and gave it to the woman whose, whose child was still alive and took that child for herself. And now the other one, when she woke up, she looked at the child that was dead. She says, that's not my child. And the mother's saying, no, it is your child. And so they brought it before King Solomon and King Solomon was supposed to decide whose child it really was. And, and with the wisdom of God, he says, uh, okay, here's how we're going to figure it out. Divide the living child in two. Give half to one and give half to the other. And then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king and she yearned with compassion for her son and she said, oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. Whatever it takes, even if I have to grow up without knowing my child, I want my child to live. And the king answered and said, this is the woman's. This is the child's mother. Give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She is his mother. Unconditional love, right? So how do you express love? One way that you express love, the love of God flowing through your life, is as you receive forgiveness, you learn how to forgive. Most struggles in the Christian life center around unforgiveness. And you say, well, wait a minute, I'm a Christian now. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. In the eyes of God, but not necessarily in your eyes. You still remember the hurts. You still remember the pains. You still remember the abuse. You still remember the abandonment. You still remember the rejection. You're a Christian, but all that stuff you still remember. So what do you have to do? You still, even though you've been forgiven, you still have to forgive. You have to be healed in those areas of your life. You've got to express forgiveness. Proverbs 10, 21. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Peter 4 and 8. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Not only those in the past, but also those in the present. Maybe you're living in a family, you know, where, where things are rough and, and you're at odds with one another. As you experience the love of God, it's the love of God that will cause you to want to bring forgiveness. As you receive forgiveness, you want to give forgiveness. It's not something that you might have in yourself, but it's God working through you. Not only forgiveness, but also being with, the, with just having a, a, it's expressed through giving. And what do I mean by giving? Proverbs 31, 4 through 9. This will make sense in a minute, but let me read it. It's not for kings, O Lemuel. This is Bathsheba, and this is her name for Solomon. She would call him Lemuel, just like my wife calls me 
uh, uh, or you might call your spouse Bubba, or hey, you know, beautiful, or whatever. She would call him Lemuel. And she said to him, it's not for kings, uh, or you have a pet name for your child, and you, you know, I think there's a lot of Bubba's running around here, but uh, it's, <laughs> you know, and you're thinking to yourself, I thought his name was this. No, no, it's Bubba. Okay, all right. <laughs> I think if I call everybody Bubba, everybody would turn around. So anyway, it's not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. Now remember, he's a king. Do you know that we're part of a royal priesthood? Did you know that you and I were born into a royal priesthood? Did you know that you and I are king's kids? We are child's, child's children of a king. Sons and daughters of a king. Remember, you're not just servants of God. You are born into the family of God. Why is that important? Because who you are, your identity, how you see yourself will determine how you behave. A good king is not given to a people for his own wants and needs. We see what that's like in our present administration. It's what I want. It's what's good for me. How I can enrich myself. How do you go into the Congress and Senate? And I don't care if this is on YouTube. I don't care. But how do you go in with nothing and come out with $3,300, million? I thought you were supposed to be there for the benefit of the people, not for the benefit of yourself. I don't have a problem with people getting wealthy. I don't have a problem. It's the mentality that I'm there for me, for myself and I. Right? Or, or you know, uh, 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 using the contacts that I have to enrich my family at the expense of the nation. No names. I'm just saying. That's not right. That's not why kings, that's not why governors, that's not why leaders are put in. And it's not, it's not what we're, so what are they supposed to be put there for? For the benefit of the people. When we realize that God has put us in this world, not just to live for ourselves, but to better the people around us, when we recognize that we're children of king, it's not, hi, I'm a Christian, I can do this, I can do that, I can still do this and go to heaven. That's fine, you can live that way, but you're living not as a king's kid. You're not living for the benefit of others. you got to learn how to bring justice and righteousness to bear in the lives of other people and when I'm talking about justice true biblical justice is making other people and their lives better that's true biblical justice and he said don't pervert your position and what you're given don't live life self-centeredly I can have all the women I want I can have all the drink I want that's what she's saying you have the freedom to do that but don't do that because that's not who you are you are a king and as a king, what you need to remember is who you are and open your mouth for those that can't speak for themselves. Open your mouth in the cause of all those who are appointed to die. Open your mouth and judge righteously and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. We need to live beyond ourselves. We need to recognize that God didn't just put us here so that we can come to church and hide out and wait for Jesus to come back. God actually saved us so that we could be his instruments to go out and rescue those who are poor, who are needy, who need God in their life. 
Jesus said it's not when they were accusing him because he, he was eating with sinners and tax collectors. He said, it's not the well who need a physician. It's those who are sick. He recognized that he wasn't sent into the world just to live life for himself. He was sent into this world to do something, to change the atmosphere, to change the culture, to change families, to change life. And then he prayed, as you've sent me into this, into this world, so I send my disciples into this world. We were sent to change lives. But we keep being a word about what can I do and still get to heaven? When am I can do? When? That's, that's immaturity. It's not knowing who you are. It's not knowing what God has called you to do. 1 Corinthians 10, 23-24, Paul says, All things are lawful for me. He's quoting something. We can do this, they're saying. Uh, we can drink. We can eat these things. Paul says, because it says, All things are lawful for me. Paul quotes them. If you had a pen, you could put it in there. Quotes. This is what you say. All things are lawful for me. But then Paul says, But not all things are helpful for others. In other words, I can do anything I want, but if the things that I want to do hurt you or cause harm in your life, I'm not going to do them. Because I'm not living life for me. I'm living life for others. And that's what Paul was trying to teach the Corinthians church. He said, you're trying to live life for what you can do for yourself and it's causing division. Learn to live life for the other. Right? So, have a, uh, I forgot, Veritas, then it was, what came after that? Value, vision. Fourth thing we're going to look at is vigilance. And again, I was praying for my brother that he would be uh, healed and learn to live life victoriously. And this word came to mind, vigilance. What do you mean by vigilance? You need to learn to be watchful. What do you mean by being watchful? Genesis 2.15. The Bible took Adam, put him in the garden, and he said to tend it and to keep it. That word keep. If you look in the, in the original language, it means to watch like a watchman. And what is a watchman placed on the walls to do? To, to look for anything that might cause harm or danger. So he was supposed to keep watch. Keep watch for what? That thing that was going to come in Genesis 3 verse 1, the serpent. He was supposed to keep watch for the serpent and for what the serpent wanted to tempt him to do, which was sin. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. If you want to live a victorious life, you cannot be ignorant of the fact that there is an enemy that wants your demise. He wants to take you down. And he doesn't come if he can't take you down by bullying you, he'll come and take you down by tempting you. You understand? It's not just by having your heart being hard, it's also the, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Those are also tactics of the enemy to draw you away from God. And you need to be vigilant, you need to be watchful, you need to understand how do I remain vigilant and watchful? Well, first of all, you need to be accountable to God. Romans 14 and 12, each of us must give an account of himself to God. Make, under, make yourself understand that one day I will stand before a living God and it's not going to be what I think as long as I do better, more good than bad, I'm going to be okay. That's your judgment, it's not his judgment. Right? 
Proverbs 7, 1 through 5. My son, keep my words, treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live, and my law is the apple of your heart. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you're my sister. Call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. What I want you to understand is if you so fall passionately in love for God, you're not going to have a desire for something else. You understand? If you're passionately in love with your wife or with the woman that, that, uh, that, that uh, you have or living life with, with your wife or the one that's going to become your future wife, if you are passionately in love with them, you're not going to have eyes for somebody else. And if you will just passionately give yourself to God, then that's going to keep you from being somewhere you don't need to be because what you want more than anything is you want to please God. You understand what I'm saying? Matthew 6, 10 through 13, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You're praying to God. You're in relationship with God. You're, you're asking God. You're communicating with God. And in this prayer, Jesus is teaching us, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God will not lead you into temptation. Keep your eyes on him. Follow after him. The Lord is my shepherd. I Shall not want, right? So be accountable to God. The other thing is you need to be accountable to yourself. A lot of people say, well, it's because you did this or because you allowed this in my life or it's because and we blame everybody else and we take no accountability for ourselves. I'm talking about how you can be a victorious Christian in life. You have to learn how to bear your own responsibility. Galatians 6 and 5, for each one shall bear his own load. Mark 14 and 38, watch and pray. He's not saying have other people watch and pray. He says you watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. See, a lot of times what we want to do is we want to get everybody else to take care of us so we don't have anything to do. Why didn't you call me? Why didn't you tell me? I, lo I love it when we have uh, things going on at church and, and, and people that are brand new and they don't know how to be responsible. And, and, and hey, we, I thought you said you were coming here. He said, well, why didn't you call me? Why didn't you do this? That's not my responsibility. That's your responsibility. I'll watch over you and I'll help you. And one of the ways that I can teach you is by not taking your life on my shoulders, but to teach you how to bear responsibility for your shoulders, for your life. You understand what I'm saying? It doesn't mean we don't watch over you, but we're going to properly teach you how to be accountable to yourself. Second uh, Timothy 2.22, it says, You, not others, you flee youthful lusts. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, that doesn't mean you have to do it all by yourself, because the other thing is you, you be accountable to others. Accountable to God, accountable to yourself, accountable to others. Hebrews 13 and 17. Obey those who rule over you, and we're not talking about, hey, cause you to come into a submission. We're talking about those who watch over you, who care for you. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Sometimes when you're pastoring or you're in leadership, you have to call people into account for things that are doing in their life. It's not something you want to do, but if you want their best, you have to call these things to their attention. And some people don't respond very well. That makes it very hard for me. Right? But I'm not called to give a, an account for your life. I'm called to give an account to God. And give an account to God, I have watch over your soul, so I'm going to tell you anyway, whether you respond well or not. But it isn't so much better when people say, you're right. Because most of us recognize when something's not right in our lives, we just don't want anybody telling us about it. 
The problem is if nobody tells you about it, you're going to keep living with that thing in your life. You have to have accountability to other people. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. James 5, 14 and 16. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over I don't want, I hear this all the time. I don't want anybody to know I've got stuff going on in my life. I don't want anybody to know that I'm sick. I don't want anybody to know I'm going through a problem. Well, that's fine. You can live life that way. But if you really want to get healed, you got to let other people know. Because healing might be in their prayers. Healing might be in their hands. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In case you're wondering, this is the last page. That brings us to the final goal. Victory. Freedom. It's God's will for your life. God wants you to live life victoriously, overcome it. Doesn't mean you're going to have $10 million in the bank. Doesn't mean you're going to wear designer clothes. It doesn't mean you're going to drive Jaguars. It doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean it won't, but that's not the goal. The goal is that you learn how to navigate this life victoriously and overcoming as a Christian. In other words, there is an enemy, but he has no hold on you. You understand what I'm saying? And it doesn't matter what you face in life, in His name, you have authority and you have victory and you're going to come through it on the other side. But I want you to know that God's will for your life is victory, but victory is a process. Uh, John 11, 43 and 44, Jesus was sent to a house uh, uh, with Mary and Martha. Her, their brother had died. When he got there, they were, uh, Lazarus had already died. He was dead. Uh, and they said, if you had been here, he would, have, he, you know, he would still be alive. And, and Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And anyway, he said, show me where he is. But Lord, he's been dead four days and he stinks already. He said, did I not tell you? Just move the stone. And the Bible says, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth, uh, with cloths, another translation said. And Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. So what am I trying to say? Okay, Lazarus was dead. The Bible says before we're Christians, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Then what happened? Jesus came and spoke life into Lazarus. Just like when we accept Christ, he speaks life into us. And we were who once dead are now alive in Christ. And then what happened? Lazarus came out of the grave. Just like we come out of the grave uh, of death, uh, grave and, 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 uh, you know, that was made for us in sin. We come out and we come out alive in Christ. But when Christ, Lazarus came out, he came out and he had life in him, but he was still bound. And a lot of people think, well, I'm saved. So I have life in me. But you don't realize that it wasn't until he came out, after he was made alive, that they began to remove the claws from his life. And a lot of us have things that restrict us in life. We're saved. We've experienced Christ in life. But you've got to allow others around you. You've got to allow others, God, others in your life to help get you free. You have the life of God, but you still have things in your life that are restricting you, that are binding you. That's why you don't experience the complete freedom that God has for you in life. But as you allow God to do that in life, you get freer and freer and freer and freer in Christ. You hearing what I'm saying? It's a process. Romans 8, 28 through 32. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And that's usually what we say to people whenever they're going through difficult. They're going through difficulties. 
But you know, that's really not, even though that's a good thing to say and it's really not contrary to what it's saying, what really it's wanting us to understand is that uh, what is God's purpose? What does He want for us? For Him He foreknew, that's us. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, He wants us to look and be like Him. But it doesn't happen overnight. It happens as a process. Victory is a process, but one thing I will tell you, victory is assured. Victory is assured. 1 John 2 and 14, I've written to you fathers because you've known him who is from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. 1 John 5, 4 and 5, for whatever is born of God, this is the scripture we began with, overcomes the world and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is he who has overcome the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Revelations 12 and 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Because, not just and, but because they did not love their lives even unto death. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that God in Christ. These are the things that I was praying for my brother that he would experience victory. But in order to experience victory, he's going to have to know the truth. He's going to have to have know what his value is, how God values him. He's going to have an identity, God's identity in his life. He's going to have to have a vision for who God is and what God wants to do through him. He's going to have to know, what was that fourth thing? He's going to have to know, um, vis- yeah, vision was number three. And the fourth thing, he's going to have to know vigilance. Thank you very much. He's going to have to be vigilant and watchful. But if he perseveres, he will learn how to live victoriously.